It's the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast with your host, Jill Riley. On this podcast, Jill explores what faith can look like after trauma. Hi, I'm Jill Riley. I am an author and a minister. I am also a trauma survivor and live with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety, and a dissociative disorder. My prayer is that post-traumatic faith will bring you hope and joy in your own journey. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and today I am joined by Randy Seedorf. Randy is a pastor. In what area of the world are you? I'm in the Midwest. Um, I'm actually kind of, if you drew a circle right in the middle of Missouri, like right on the Missouri River, I am just north of Kansas City in a little town called Liberty, Missouri. All right. Now, my mother was raised in Missouri, and she always called it Missouri. Well, um, there are varying opinions on that. It depends on what part of the state you're from. So ah. if you're so if you're south of of uh, I seventy, it's Missouri. Okay. And if you live in the northern part of the state, it's Missouri. Okay. So, I didn't know there was a rule, rule to that. But every once in a while, I'll refer to it as Missouri, and people look like I, I've lost my brain. No, that's, that's accurate. You know, it just depends. Uh, the further south you get, the more, the more kind of a southern draw there is with people. And um, you, you see that uh, kind of pronounced silently instead of the, the I. Okay, very good. Well, you learn something new every day. So, so you are a pastor now? Yes, yes. Okay. I'm, I'm an associate pastor of worship and discipleship okay. at a church called Trinity Church of the Nazarene. Um, I am, uh, I've been on staff there for eight years. And uh, that's, that's the, the, actually, I've been a staff pastor for 23 years now. Wonderful. Always in the area of worship? Always in the area of worship um, and discipleship. Um, um, I've um, I felt that my calling was initially to be the very best associate pastor that I could be um, to uh, administrate well, mm -hmm. um, to be a helpmate to uh, my senior pastor, and to kind of be a right-hand man. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's well, kind of always I, been my role. I think that is a um, very important calling. I I had a pastor once who told me, as myself being a staff pastor, he said, "Jill, if I throw the ball out there, um, you help me go get it." Yeah, <laughs> and I'm exactly. like, "Okay, I can do that." So, uh, just a, an example, um, we have a church that was built in the early 1960s, and we're in the middle of a building program, building a new youth and children's center. Now, I don't, I've, I've not been involved with that part, but the um, couple of years ago when we uh, did a facelift on the inside of the church, I ended up being a project manager to redo the parking lot, put a new roof on the building, buy carpet, remodel the bathrooms. Um, you know, they don't teach you that in Bible school. They don't. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they certainly don't. So, yeah, he just said, you know, I've got all these other things on my plate. I just need you to handle this. So, yeah, that was kind of my role. That's so. great. That's great. Well, do you have a family? I do. Um, I, I have five children, um, uh, four boys and a girl. 
and uh, all but one of them live here in the Kansas City area. We have our oldest lives um, in Melbourne, Florida. Okay. And he is uh, works for the Air Force. Ah. Uh, administration on an Air Force base there um, and has a clearance that I can't talk about. And he works in a building with no windows, that kind of a place. Ah. Uh, so um, my yeah. uh, my son and son-in-law and daughter are both Air Force and high security clearance and um, work in windowless buildings also and can't take their phones in and and yeah. uh, my daughter recently retired from the or uh, separated from the Air Force after finishing her six years and is now working as a government contractor. So um, thank you to your son for serving and to all those who serve. I'm just always humbled and honored to to know those. Yeah, it's it's great. Um, he's a he's a wonderful kid. He, he went to business school. Uh, at Central Missouri State University, and and uh, and so he's he's using he actually using the degree he went to college for, which um, you know doesn't happen for a lot of people. Uh, right, doing other things or changing you know changing course, um, but but he's he's enjoying that life. They've moved a lot um, yeah, six times in the last eight years. Wow. Uh, they were in Klamath Falls, Oregon, Fresno, California, uh, South Kansas City, then Jacksonville, Florida, and now Melbourne, Florida. So, wow, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Well, it's the military life. <laughs> it is the military life. So you've told me a little bit about your family and your work now. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your history? Just a little bit about your family growing up. Where did you grow up? What was your family of origin like? Okay. Um, my my dad's family and my mother's family were farmers. Um, uh, I was born in a little farm town in Northeast Iowa. Uh, in fact, we were just up there for a funeral this past weekend. Uh, it's called Olwine, O-E-L-W-E-I-N. And it's just uh, it's just a farm community, you know. The the seed company sure, is like yeah. the big attraction in town, you know. Um, but it's, uh, it's where I was born uh, with seven brothers and sisters. Wow. Uh, it's a big family, eight kids and mom and dad. Uh, my dad was a farmer. His brothers were both farmers. His dad was a farmer. What did uh, they farm? Mother, what did they grow? Um, they had a, what they call a family farm. So he had, he had cows, he had pigs, um, he had milk cows. Um, he raised corn and beans okay. and they had a big garden. And then he had a side job where he went around and picked up the local dairy farmers milk and hauled it to town, uh, to the creamery. So, huh. So now is if farms in that area, are they dry farms? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. It's, um, it's, a uh, you know, the, it's very, very expensive land now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when you, when you drive across that part of the world where, where I grew up, it's they contour farm because the road, the, the ground is kind of hilly and rises and falls. They terrace the sides of the hills and it's, it's just gorgeous uh, mm-hmm. at harvest time to drive through there and, and see the waves of the crops and know that they're, they're feeding millions of people off of those, 
those fields, you know. Well, my husband's extended family are farmers and ranchers, and uh, my husband's grand grandmother says that you you can't be a farmer and not be a gambler. <laughs> You're all, <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> always gambling on God for the weather. Yeah, yeah. Those guys, you know, they uh, they they always have something to do after they've planted. Uh, you know, that's fence mending time. That's gardening time that's you know working on the machinery working on your outbuildings yeah um, you know you could spend you know three weeks out of a month just working on fences and gates and all the stuff that breaks on a farm you know yeah yeah remarkable work so tell me about your family's uh, faith background were you raised in the church were you um, was your family religious or spiritual? Yeah, um, when I was uh, when I was young, we moved to Kansas City. Um, my my brothers and sisters um, grew up in that farm culture, and I was in grade school when we migrated to the city. Uh, my mom and dad sold their farm, and uh, we moved to Independence, Missouri. And uh, my my grandfather was an elder in our church growing up in the church in the Christian church. Um, my mother was the worship leader at my church growing up. Uh, it was, you know, we went to Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday mm-hmm. night church. You know, if the if the church was open, we were on our way there. So, uh, you know, eight kids in the station wagon with mom and dad, you know, piling out going to the church. But um, it was it was a really healthy church. Um, I have to say. Uh, Ray Espy is one of was my childhood pastor. Uh, he pastored till he was ninety one years old. Wow! Uh, just an unbelievable man of God and uh, a big influence in my life. Um, have a, still have a ton of respect for him, and um, he's actually the one that told me that I was going to preach the gospel Sunday. Really? Uh, when I was a boy, yeah, I was about ten when he told me that. Wow. So, so you kind of, did you walk away from faith for a season or did I misunderstand that? No, you, you didn't. I was, you know, I was a dummy, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to put anybody in a box or anything like that, but, you know, I had grown up in this great home and I had, you know, I mean, we weren't wealthy by any means, but, um, I never went hungry, always had a roof over my head, um, got great support from my parents. Um, I knew right from wrong. And uh, when I got out on my own, I just went crazy. You know, I um, I just started going down a road that I knew was wrong. And, uh, you know, I, I, I started taking part in addictive behavior, um, uh, I was definitely deep into alcohol and drugs. Um, just, uh, I worked all the time. And when I wasn't at work, I was partying somewhere. Mm. And, and you worked, um, for bread industry. Well, that was later, but I started out in the hospitality industry. I okay. was a restaurant manager. Okay. So. And then you ended up working for a bread company. Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, you had quite the traumatic event that happened in 93 that kind of changed the trajectory of your life. Um, Can you describe that event to me? Sure. Um, Yeah, it's, it's still, you know, I think some people think that memories like that fade, you know, but it's, it's just as vivid now as it was that day. Uh, I remember pulling up to the back door of the restaurant to go to work. And uh, I remember there was a a family going through the drive-through at uh, the restaurant next door, you know, getting coffee and, and sandwiches for the road. You know, they were on their way somewhere and uh, you know, it's a beautiful Sunday morning Um, got in and got started working and started getting things turned on and, and getting started for the day. And, uh, and the, there was a knock at the door and uh, thinking it was one of my employees. I opened the door and four guys and all dressed in black came pouring in the back door. And uh, so we, we fought, um, we, we tussled. Um, and uh, obviously I did not win. It was four to one. Um, yeah. And when they pulled the guns out, um, the fight kind of came to an end. Um, they forced me into the office and to open the safe. And, uh, so I had to open the safe the first time with a gun in my ear. Mm. Um, and, uh, I'll never forget him saying that if you don't open the safe the first time, he goes, I'm going to pull the trigger. So my hands weren't shaking or anything. Right. But, uh, <laughs> they uh um they got the money and uh um it, there was quite a bit of cash from the weekend uh, this was a sunday morning and uh they started ripping the as they were unloading the safe one of the guys started ripping all the the computer lines out of the wall and unplugging all the equipment in the office and uh, ripping the phone out of the wall and all that stuff and so they were they just them. doing that so you couldn't get in contact with anybody? Well, uh, they didn't really say, but I assumed that they were they were trying to disable the phones and that kind of thing. So, you know, okay. the, the law enforcement couldn't be called. And so they used those cables to tie me up with. And uh, they forced me down on the floor with the gun uh, face down. And they they tied my hands behind my back and then tied my feet to my hands. Well, when they were tying my feet to my hands, he drove his heel into my back. And when he did, he fractured one of the vertebrae in my low back. Mm. And uh, so I have a, I have a partial permanent disability from that, but um, so they, they were kind of wrapping things up and they were, they were getting ready to exit and, they were having a conversation at that point about whether or not um, how they were going to handle my situation, whether they were going to cut my throat, whether they were going to shoot me or whether they were just going to leave. And they were having those conversations out loud in front of you. Yes, ma'am. Wow. And so it was, it was really frightening. Um, I just, I've never been that afraid about anything, but it also, you know, something inside of me, that gospel truth that I had known since I was a kid started coming alive in me, 
you know, mm-hmm. I knew, you know, all of a sudden this, this cloud of repentance came over me. That's the only mm-hmm. way I can describe it. It's like, I, I knew that it was time for me to repent for the lifestyle that I'd been living. And, um, you know, because I had wandered away from the Lord. And so I just, I started crying out to God and I don't, I don't know if that was audible or not. I couldn't tell you, but, uh, I was just, I thought this was it. This is my, this is my time. I'm all done. Um, these guys take me. Um, let's see. 93. I was in, uh, I was 40 years old. Okay. So, yeah. Um, had a couple kids at home, you know, I was three kids at home. I was really concerned about my family at that moment. And so I, uh, you know, I just said, ask the Lord to forgive me, you know, and, and I said, Lord, if you, if you help me through this, if, if, if this is it, it's it. But if I, if I make it through this, um, I'm, I'm going to rededicate my life to serving you. And uh, mm-hmm. I've given up on that and put that behind me and changed my whole lifestyle. And, uh, so ultimately, obviously, they decided to let you live. They just left? Well, um, the guy put a, cha- a, a round in the chamber of the gun to shoot me. And that's kind of a chilling sound when you're tied up on the floor and you can't defend yourself. But yeah. Uh, and then he pressed the gun up against the back of my head. And um, right at that moment was when I was, I was praying and uh, got pretty intense right at that moment. And uh, at the moment that I repented, there was a honk on the horn of the getaway car in the parking lot. And they left without shooting me. And I've never thought that that was an accident. I've always yeah. thought that that my repentance and that them leaving without taking my life were linked. And um, in that in my mind, I always felt that those two were connected. I still do. So. Wow. And how were you? How were you rescued? Who found you? Well. Um, about 30 minutes later, um, there was another knock at the door and, uh, that's, (laughs) this is kind of difficult to explain, but I was kind of tied up like this with my head here and my feet like this. Right. right? Yeah. So I, I kind of seesawed over to the door and, and there was a panic bar on the door and I was able to hit that with my foot. And it was my kitchen manager. And he came in and called the police on his cellular phone. And, um, of course, they they showed up in a flash. They were there in just a couple minutes. And then detectives and an ambulance. And I mean, all the old cavalry was there just right. very, very short time. Right. To- so that was that was a turning point in your in your faith, obviously. Oh yeah, no question about it. It was, it was really the Lord rescued me in every way that a person could be rescued. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was addicted. I was, uh, I was a drunk. Uh, uh, I was, 
you know, I was living outside of God's will. I mean, and the Lord, it, it was just like a, like a Phoenix rising from the ashes, you know, mm-hmm. he, he just recreated me and set me on a new path, you know, and, uh, the, the word says that uh, when the Lord comes into your life, he makes you a new creation. Mm-hmm. He did that all over again for me. Wow. And so I tell people that I've lived two lives. I lived the life up until October 6th, 1993. And I've lived the life that I've lived since then. And uh, it's completely two different paths. So Yeah. Did you suffer from PTSD from that event? Still do. Um, not as bad. I have panic attacks now and, uh, you know, I've been treated for that. Um, I, I, I started seeking counseling not very long after, uh, that incident. I was having terrible nightmares. Um, I, I was afraid to go to sleep at night. Uh, you know, I was afraid to go back to work. Absolutely. Uh, because at that point the perpetrators hadn't been captured yet. I was afraid they'd come back, you know? Um, so I, 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 it took me several months to recover where I could go back to work and, and then some therapy after that. Did now they were eventually captured, right? They were, um, the, the person who, um, the primary kind of, I guess you would call them the leader, um, the one who had the gun in my ear, um, committed a murder, uh, just a few weeks later, right down the street at a, um, at a gas station. And, uh, he died by lethal injection, uh, two years ago. Okay. So what is your feeling about, about that? Well, I, uh, it's one of the reasons that I do prison ministry. It's one of the reasons that I got involved in that. Um, a couple of years ago in 2019, I was scheduled to go again last year, but um, because of the pandemic, wasn't able to go. I was scheduled to do a tour over in the UK, uh, the northern cities of England. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was there in 2019, um, Rob Cotton, who is the bishop there, asked me, on camera, he said, what would you do if you met the person who robbed you while you were in prison? Mm. And I said, well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I've had that conversation with myself. You know, I've asked myself, what would I do, you know, if I met this person? Right. And, uh, and the Lord did something supernatural in me. He um, the Lord had to do this. I couldn't do it, but he was, he allowed me to forgive that person for what they did to me. And um, I came to the realization that the Lord forgave me for a whole bunch of stuff. Right. And so I should be willing to do that um, for someone else. Mm-hmm. Were you ever able to meet him? No, I was not. Um, that never happened. Uh, I just figured it was the Lord's providence, you know, that it never happened. Um, but uh, I, it, I did have an unusual experience um, at the church where I currently serve. I got up and gave my testimony one day about this very incident. And uh, 
one of the gentlemen that served on the board at our church came up to me after church and he goes, I want you to know that I was the foreman of the jury at that gentleman's trial. Wow. And uh, so that was, that was really a profound moment. And he was the one that, that had mentioned to me about um, his execution. So. Wow. That is, um, that is overwhelming. I can't imagine the aftermath of, of all of that. So this produced in you a passion for prison ministry. Tell me about your work with the incarcerated or formerly incarcerated. What do you, what do you do? Well, um, that's a, that's another story all <laughs> yeah. in itself. Um, my wife and I uh, started Soul Purpose Ministries in 2010 uh, to reach the lost um, through the vehicle of music evangelism. Um, we've played at all kinds of places, uh, shopping malls, barbecue contests, car shows, uh, taverns, you name it. We've taken the gospel there. Um, and we were playing at an outdoor festival uh, up in Smithville, Missouri, called Nehemiah Fest. Actually, mm-hmm. we're scheduled to play there again this year. 40 bands, four days, you know, one of the big, you know, big outdoor festival kind of places. Yeah. And, um, for several months before the festival, uh, my wife and I had been praying about, you know, kind of what's next for us in our ministry. And one of the things that we had talked about was prison ministry. And, um, we just had no idea how to get started, but we had, we had seen how that had affected people within our family circle. Mm -hmm. And we had also seen some of those people end up reincarcerated. And what we found uh, doing a little research is that 60% of the people who are in prison now are, have been reincarcerated. And so they get out, they, they hang out with the same villains that got them there in the first place. Um, yeah, recidivi- this, recidivism is, is crazy. The rates of it. Yes. It's just, a, it's a, it's cyclical with, with these guys and gals too, believe me. Um, so heading, having prayed about that, we went to this festival to play and there was a, a young lady that played before us uh, and the name of the group was Sing for the King. Her name was uh, Christy Hoagland. And uh, her husband was an evangelist, and she's a singer-songwriter, had a band. And they stayed and listened to our set after they got done. And uh, after that was over, Johnny Allen and, and her walked up and handed me a card and said, if you're ever interested in doing prison ministry, hmm. here's my card. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, of course, you know, that's all a coincidence, right? Right, right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) So, um, of course, we called them. We ended up meeting with them. Um, We did our first uh, event with them at a drug and alcohol rehab center. Uh, uh, People coming out of drug and alcohol crimes uh, that are transitioning back into life mm-hmm. uh, outside. Um, 
And that first weekend, 42 people got saved. Wow. Um, And I was like, I was hooked. Okay. I was like, I've been in pastoral ministry for 23 years. I haven't led 42 people to Christ in 23 years. Um, And that happened in one weekend. And they were seeing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of salvations every year in their ministry. And of course, we do this for the fruit. We do this to see people take a step towards Christ. We do this because we want to see changed lives. What really changed me, though, was when we started to be able to pray with these guys. And they would look at us and say, Pastor Randy, will you will you pray for me? I want to be a good husband. Mm-hmm. I want to be a good father for my kids. And uh, with all the sincerity in the world, yeah. you know, they really want to change. So these are people that will tell you, I'm here because I made mistakes. I'm here because I'm not here by accident. I'm here because I deserve to be here. I broke the law, but I want to change my life. And we know when that life is changed, when when God goes to work in that person's heart, it doesn't just change their heart. It changes families. Right. Right. It has a it has a ripple effect and a trickle down effect. And and so you see families changed. And uh, so that's why we do it. Right. Well, really, you're affecting the next the next generation because, you know, that uh, generational uh, addiction, generational crime um, that exists. And and when you are invested in one generation uh, spiritually, it, it carries on down. Yeah. I think the other part of, of ministering to the incarcerated as a worship pastor is I'm addicted to, to worshiping with offenders um, because they're already in jail. Um, you know, so they don't have any inhibitions, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they don't, they don't worry. They're not, they're not concerned with what anybody else thinks around them. Um, they're not concerned about what the other guy's wearing because they're all wearing the same uniform. Yeah. Right. And when they get free in their heart, uh, they have this ability to just worship. And even though they're inside the razor wire, they're, they're free in here. Mm-hmm. And there's a freedom there in worship. Uh, people shouting the name of Jesus, um, just displaying their their love for Christ in a way that we don't often see in the Western church anymore. Right, you know? right. And, Do you have opportunity through the ministry to ever follow up with any of the people that you've worked with, or is that not possible? Well, it's, that's a great question. Um, and we had a, a really a surprise here a few months back. Um, that same facility that we went to the first time, uh, it was, uh, we, we've been back a couple of times since then. And uh, one Sunday morning, I was leading worship and a gentleman came walking down the aisle with, with a young lady and sat near the front of the church. And he he looked familiar, but, you know, I couldn't recall his name. And uh, 
after worship and I mean, after church and we were visiting with some people and he came up and he says, um, he goes, are you Randy Seedorf? And I said, yeah. And he goes, were you at uh, WRDCC last year? I said, yeah. He goes, well, he gave me his name and he, he says, I'm, I'm one of the men that was in the audience at the, the prison. And he goes, my wife is a member of the church here. And he goes, I just want to thank you for, for coming that day. He goes, your ministry really meant a lot to me. He gave me wow. some And I tell you what, that energized me. I, that was good. Oh, for yeah. me. That was enough for another year worth of ministry right there. You know? Yeah. To see that little investment, um, be, be manifest in that way is incredible. Yeah. And I was able to do some counseling with him and his wife. Um, I think one of the, one of the most difficult thing for the incarcerated is once they have a felony record is getting gainful employment. Yes. Um, you know, you know, crossing that hurdle, it's a big challenge for, for felons. That's always going to be on their job application. Yeah. Um, you know, so being gainfully employed and, and staying away from addiction and uh, making friends with people who don't run in those circles anymore. And, right. And, uh, well, and we know that because of what you're talking about, employment, and also because of housing, those challenges when you have a felony on your record um, lead back into lives of crime because that's where they know to make money. And, sure. um, and so those things are huge, are huge obstacles. Yeah, I have a colleague that works at City Union Mission in Kansas City, and he's one of the the trustees there. And uh, he's a four time offender, uh, has a rap ministry. Um, guy's an amazing evangelist and rapper. And uh, we did a couple of events with him. Did you so rap? He did, not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but his name is Kevin, and he's he's the sent one. Okay. Okay. He's the, one. You should have him on your show, man. He's incredible. He just did a movie. So oh, well, connect us. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. You'd, you'd like that. Um, anyway, so he, he, when he was preaching, I, this is when it really hit me. He goes, I made $6,000 a week selling drugs, standing on a street corner. And he goes, when I got out, I went to work at a furniture store loading trucks, making $6 and 50 cents an hour. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, you can do it. He goes, but there's always that draw, you know, there's always that temptation to go back to that easy money. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What would you tell other people who have gone through trauma, certainly not the same kind of trauma as you, but as you've kind of worked and processed and as God has worked in your life, what would you tell other trauma survivors in a message of hope and healing? Well, um, I said, first of all, I learned to learn, lean on the word of God and, um, and, and to surround myself with, with wonderful support people. I have a great wife. I have uh, wonderful pastoral friends and colleagues. Um, I, think, 
I think all of us need someone that we can go to that's not a family member that we can say anything to. Yes. You know, and, and whether that's an older person or a younger person, it doesn't matter. But you need to be able to go to someone and just let all your guards down and be able to give them some unfiltered information. Yes. And if you've been through something traumatic like this, it doesn't, you know, all it takes is a word or a laugh or something unexpected, hearing an old song a different way, and you're back there again. Okay. And so you have to, you have to be friends with someone you can call at a moment's notice. Yes. And say, hey, I'm having a tough day. Can you help me out? You know? Right. Can you listen for a little bit? And so you need that. And then you need to be in the word. Um, uh, a favorite scripture of mine is Psalm 139. And I like 9 and 10, which is, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter where I go. You know, the Lord has me hemmed in, in front and behind. Um, he's my hedge of protection. And by going to the word of God, there's all kinds of promises and reminders there, benchmarks that say, you know, God is my protector. God is my defender, you know? Yes. So we need to lean into that. Well, I think what you're saying is so true, both that we need, we need a village. We need those people that are, that are um, helpmates to us in many different areas of life. But um, I am so thankful for your life and that God has held you close in the palm of his hand, even when you felt like you were far away from him and um, that he wasn't far away from you. Um yeah. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. So, well, thank you for sharing your story and uh, just your testimony. And I look forward to hearing more about what, what you're doing and, and uh, where God is taking you. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Um, I, I feel like uh, we're, we have a kindred spirit. I feel yes. like we uh, that we're on the same track, the same wavelength, and certainly we'll be praying for what you do for your podcast. And we really appreciate the opportunity to come on and have a conversation with you. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts today. You can follow Jill on social media on Facebook and Instagram, JillRiley.author, and Twitter, JillRileyAuthor. To contact Jill, email Jill at JillRiley.org.